0: Please join with me in prayer. Father, uh, even now we wait on you. You are the God who promises to speak to us and not just to inform us, but to, to transform us. So we ask for that now, that as we, as we seek before your face to listen to you speak to us. That you would change us, that you would renew us, that you would draw us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we do when the faith that we have, when our Christian faith does not seem to be working? That's not how it always feels, of course. There are some times where the gospel and what we have trusted in just feels real, where we can point to times where we have prayed and we've seen God do exactly what we asked, where when we read God's word, it feels alive, as if God is speaking directly to us, where when we think of our lives, we, we notice how God is at work changing us and growing us and at working in our community. And, and we can say, yes, I believe that God is real. I believe that God loves me. This is true. Sometimes are like that. But other times, if we have walked with Christ, seeking to trust in him for a longer period of time, we realize that's not always how it is. Sometimes it feels very different. Sometimes it can really feel like God is completely absent Sometimes we find ourselves kind of in a place of stuckness. Like maybe we had expected God to give us kind of a certain family situation, married, kids, things going well, and we find ourselves in something very different. Or, or we find ourselves at work giving lots and lots of time and energy to something that at times feels inconsequential. Or or we find ourselves having had something happen to us that we're just reeling from. And the thing that makes these things so hard is that in each of them we have prayed, we have asked for God to help, we've asked for God to do something, and He hasn't done it. And as a result, it just feels kind of empty. Like when we hear God's word, it feels disconnected as it speaks about hope and love, and we just feel removed from it. Sometimes it really feels like this faith that we have that we have given ourselves to, that the hope that we have given ourselves to just isn't working? And what do we do in moments like that? What's striking to me is in Scripture, we see very clearly that God understands that in this broken world, trusting in Him at times can be agonizing. And I say that because we see this multiple times in scripture, including the passage that we just read this morning. We didn't read all of it, it's longer than we had time for, but, but what we do have, even in the verse that we read, is, is a picture of someone in pain. It's a, it's a song written by a man by the name of Ethan the Ezraite, and we know nothing about him except for what he describes in this song. And, and that is enough for us to understand why he has every reason to be bewildered and even in agony. To begin with, one of the things that is most noticeable about Ethan is that he is a man who has given his life to the hope of God's promises. This is how it begins. Uh, Perhaps we notice, if you don't have your bulletin open, I invite you to look at the passage at the very beginning. How does it begin? I will sing of... The steadfast love of the Lord, we've talked about that before in this church, that word steadfast love is the word hesed, it means ironclad committed love, it's the kind of love that that a faithful spouse will show to his or her husband or wife who is going through some great sickness, sticking by them, it's it 's the kind of love that a mother shows to her child, where no matter what her child does, she will love him. It is ironclad and, and he says, "God, that is what you are. You are a God of steadfast love. and what 's more, he focuses on this other trait: with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness. Does anyone remember uh, Horton the Elephant from Dr. Seuss where Maisie, the bird, tells him and he promises he will to sit on the egg while unbeknownst to him, she just goes away on vacation like Palm Desert or somewhere like that. And He's sitting on this egg forever, it seems like, whether it's winter and there's terrible weather or whether people are mocking him or whether he's even captured. He keeps staying at the egg and what does he say? He says, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. What I say I do, I will do. That's faithfulness. And the psalmist says, God, you have shown that that's you. That whatever you say, no matter how hard or how difficult to believe it is, when you say it, you will do it because you are faithful. You are a God of steadfast love. You are a God of faithfulness. When you have these two truths, they can utterly transform you. They they can become the bedrock of your life that God's love will never change. And his promises will always hold true. And that is the bedrock for Ethan. He, he says he sings of it. He sings of the steadfast love of God because it is so emotionally important to him. It says he will recount of his faithfulness to one generation after another. You can just imagine him talking to his children and speaking to his children of of you need to know that God does what he says. And then when his grandchildren are born, it's important to have to make sure they understand that God does what he says. This is everything for Ethan. And there's one there's one promise in particular that he just comes back to that seems seeks to in some ways define him. And we see him talking about that in verse three. He says, For you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servants, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know what he's talking about. Remember, 2 Samuel 7, where, where God says to David, I'm going to build you a dynasty. Your descendants will bring about a kingdom where the enemies will be no more. They will rest. Your, your descendant will bring about, your descendant, the Messiah, will bring about an intimate relationship between me and you and your people. It will be permanent and it will be glorious. And, and Ethan, that is for him everything. He lives by this promise that one day all will be made right when the Messiah comes. It is what defines him. He he. He organizes his life on it. Even if other people don't treat it seriously, he does. Because he knows that what God says he will do, he does. It is everything for him. And it is exactly this that makes him in so much pain. Because that's the reality, right? When, when we hope, when we hope in something, we, we make ourselves vulnerable. I mean, wouldn't, in some ways, it be easy if Christianity promised less? Easier, at least, for us to believe. Just imagine for a moment that the promises of, of Scripture were that life, if you follow Jesus, will be a little easier. You'll have some sense of transcendence, some, some help, maybe, as you're trying to figure out how to live well, some moderately supportive community will be a little easier. And, and God, you know, is generally on your side. He, he wants to help you when he can, and he won't always. I mean, wouldn't it actually be easier to believe that? Wouldn't it be easier to navigate that when life is hard, to just go, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, God hasn't said that he's always gonna be with me just some of the time. This isn't supposed to be better, and it's just some of the time. I can understand this. That would be, in some ways, easier, wouldn't it be? And it would have been easier for Ethan if that's what he believed, but that's not what he believes, and that's not what the Christian gospel proclaims. The Christian gospel doesn't just say life will be a little bit easier. The Christian gospel says in Christ your old life is over and you have begun a new life that ends in eternal joy. The Christian gospel speaks of not just a moderately supportive community, but of the Holy Spirit at work, transforming people. And not just of a God who's kind of somewhat detached, but mildly for you, but one who is passionately committed to you. And and that's, that's what Ethan holds on to. And that's what also makes Ethan so, so confused because everything that he's banked on all his confidence that he's leaned on in the reality of god and his faithfulness and his promise and david everything seems to have fallen apart so we see after he speaks throughout 30 to 37 of just these promises to david of how His offspring, verse 36, shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. But now, he says, but now you've cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You could just easily translate that against your Messiah. You are full of wrath against your Messiah. You have renounced the covenant. With your servant, you have defiled his crown in the dust. See, 589 BC, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the general of the Babylonian army, brings his army and surrounds the city of Jerusalem completely around it. No one can get in, no one can get out. And for a year plus, more than a year, he is just there, besieging the city. And there are some in the city who are saying, don't worry, things will be fine, it will be all right. But they're getting more and more hungry, they're getting more and more hungry, they are starving, they're starting to eat leather, they're starting to eat dirt. They have no sustenance. And then Nebuchadnezzar breaks down the walls, and he torches the whole city. He pulls apart the temple brick by brick so that it's in ruins, and then he takes the son of David, the king, and... Before blinding him, the very last thing that the king sees is all of his children being killed. And from that moment on, there has never been since a king in Israel ruling over the political nation of Israel. And Ethan has seen this. I mean, that's what he's grieving over when he says, You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. Skipping down to 44, you have made his splendor to cease and have cast his throne to the ground. I mean, just try to imagine what it must have been like for him. Day in, day out, he was holding on to this reality, even as other people doubted God is faithful, God will do what he says day in, day out. He was waiting on God, allowing it to define his life, and then then it all comes to an end. And the Davidic king is destroyed, and the city is destroyed, and everything that he was sure of seems to have been oblique. And he has no tools to know how to what to make of this. He hasn't yet decided that God isn't real. He's speaking to God in this song, but it also seems like everything that God has said, God who is faithful, the God who is going to be faithful in his love and steadfast, this God has broken everything. What do you do with that? What do you do when the faith The the, the Christian truth that you have placed your hope in just doesn't seem in any way to be working. Now, I should point out that this is not the only place we see this in Scripture. In fact, the more you study Scripture, the more you realize that we see this happening again and again. So if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, Abraham is called by God, To leave his homeland, his family, his wealth, and to go to another area. And God says, and I will give you a land, and you will have a son, and through that son, the whole world will be changed. And so he goes, and he starts camping out in this new area, and he doesn't get it. He camps out even more, and no son is born, he becomes 50, 60, 70, 80. And still nothing has happened. And it must have felt sure to him that God is not going to do what he said he was going to do. Fast forward a few more generations. God's people who are are facing famine are able to escape famine and into Egypt and they find safety there. But some time later, Pharaoh realizes, hey, free labor and enslaves the people of Israel. And for decades after decades, they are under this tyrant as slaves. And they are crying out to God, God, where are you? Would you please rescue us from this? And nothing happens, and it seems like God has forgotten them. Or we think of not just Ethan, but for hundreds of years, God's people waiting, waiting for a king that seems like he is never going to come. If we really look at Scripture honestly, What what we actually, I think, come to discover is that this is actually what normal Christian life or normal life of the people of God is like. It is to be in a situation where what they are trusting in is God's promises and what they are experiencing seem to be utterly irreconcilable. There is this unbridgeable chasm between what they expect and what's actually happening. What do you do with that? Well, I think we are given in Psalm 89, in, in Ethan's response, a way for those of us who are in this situation right now, for those of us who even might right now be feeling like, I, I, I'm really having a hard time seeing how this all works. And what Ethan shows us I think what we see here with Ethan is two choices, two ways forward of wisdom that are meant for us to join with him when we find ourselves in moments like this. And the first one is that Ethan chooses to stay confused. So you'll notice after he is raising this, after he is expressing his complaint, the very end of the psalm, doesn't end like some psalms do. Many psalms will go through a moment of, of confusion or frustration, but then it will come to a place of, and yet God has seen me, and yet God has rescued me. Praise the Lord, and it finishes on an up note, like like you know Disney movies or something like that. But that's not how this one ends. How does this one end? This one ends with questions. How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Is this this ever going to happen? Are you ever going to answer your promises? Every night I ask that maybe the next day you will do what you said. And every morning when I wake up and I watch throughout the day, I don't see it. I don't see any evidence. How long are you going to take? Here's the thing, God. Don't you understand, he points out, that I'm going to die. Remember how short my time is, he says. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Certainly not me. Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? He's saying, How is this going to work for me? I've, I've placed everything on you. And am I going to die just never seeing any of your promises be fulfilled? How does that work? How long, Lord? And then he asks. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Verse 49, where is your love? If someone loves you, you should be able to see it, right? I mean, if we belong to a family and we know our parents love us, we know that because they tell us, and not only tell us, but they show us. We know that with people, they do things for us. They they give us a hug, something to let us see their love. Why can't I see that with you, God? Everywhere I look, I see only suffering. I see only despair. Where? Where is your steadfast love? He asks. He's he's in confusion, asking questions, and he doesn't move from there. That's that's where it ends. It ends in confusion. I think that's actually significant for us to recognize, because I think we tend to think that Christians are supposed to be people without questions. I mean, We have have this book. God has revealed so much in the Bible. And we, we believe that God has shown himself in Jesus. He had given us knowledge. And because we know that, we assume that, therefore, we shouldn't have any questions left. That any question we should be able to answer. And so if we're confused, that's probably a problem with us. And so what do we do? I think sometimes when we find ourselves with this tension, where we don't understand, we just, honestly, we just kind of squint at it and pretend it's not quite there. Like sometimes we maybe lessen how hard things are and pretend things are better than they are. But honestly, I think other times we just, in our mind, lower the bar of our expectations of what we think God has promised. I actually think that oftentimes those who are struggling most with their faith are not those who have a shallow faith, but those with a deep faith, where they really expect God to do what he says he will do. I actually think that oftentimes we don't struggle enough because we don't really believe what we have read. We don't believe God really answers prayer, and so it doesn't surprise us when we don't see answers to prayer. We don't really believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, so it doesn't surprise us when we don't see people being changed by it. We don't really believe that the Spirit is at work in the church, so it doesn't surprise us when we see the church just looking ugly. We, we deal with our confusion by just kind of pretending it's not a thing. But that's, that's, not, that's not where Ethan goes. He refuses to lessen his confidence in the promises of God, and he refuses to turn his eye away from how everything doesn't seem like it fits. He just stays confused.
1: And I would suggest
0: that there is a wisdom in that when we think about it, because we are in a world that is twisted and corrupted, and we have a God who is so far beyond us, we should expect to have questions that will not have answers So Ethan, in this agony, he he chooses to stay confused. And secondly, he chooses to stay connected. Specifically, chooses to stay connected to God. Notice, when he's asking these questions, he's just not asking them to himself. He is directing them to God. And if you think about what he's asking, he's asking fairly impolite questions. He's basically saying, God, are you breaking your promise? And God, did you lie when you say that you are loving? I mean, who speaks to God like that? But the key is, he is bringing this to God. See, when we find ourselves in a place of disillusionment where it just doesn't fit, our natural tendency oftentimes is just to retreat from God, to disconnect from him. And I think... Part of the reason is because we don't know how to talk to him about this. We have been so trained that there's an appropriate, proper way to speak to God. There's, you know, we have to start with adoring, God, you're great, and then confessing, I'm a sinner, and then thanks for this. And then finally, we might be able to say a few things, but even there, we need to be very careful about how we say it. And and so that's how we're supposed to be with God, and yet this is how we're feeling. We're angry, we're confused, we're in agony, and we can't go there, and so we just don't pray at all. But notice, what Ethan does is he prays his anger. He prays his agony. He prays his confusion. And he's okay being impolite because the thing is, he doesn't need to shield God. God already knows that that's going on in his heart. So Ethan just turns it towards God and says, why? How long? Where? And in doing so, he stays connected to the only place he can go for answers. He knows Where else do I have to go but you, God? The key in those terms of of staying confused and staying connected is that he is staying. He's waiting. He has one prayer, really, as he's asking those questions. He repeats it twice, if you notice. So after 46, is question, 47, what does he say? Remember. Remember how short my time is. After 49, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? He says, remember. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. Remember my suffering. What he is saying is, Lord, look on us. See me. Remember me. Understand what's going on with me. Lord, please be compassionate. Please. Enter into my situation with me. He has no power and he realizes that all he can do is to turn towards God and wait as he stays confused and yet stays connected. And I want to suggest to you that this is the posture of wisdom when we find ourselves in a situation where what we believe just does not seem to work. And I wonder if when you hear that, you you might respond against that. it's like, why? Right now, I'm honestly, I'm just inclined to give up on the whole thing. Why would I want to stay in this place of weakness, stay in this posture of confusion, stay in this place of waiting? And I think, We actually have answers here if we step beyond the psalm, and probably the most important thing to begin with is to recognize that Ethan was right. He he was right to keep counting on God's steadfast love. He was right to keep waiting on God even though nothing made sense. Because centuries later, the very thing that God promised he does he, he gives a king, a Messiah, who will conquer all enemies, a king who will bring about a new relationship with the God, a king who will do way more than any promise could have contained. It happens. And what's more, Galatians tells us that at the fullness of time, God gave his son which implies this wasn't just God kind of forgetting about things, that God wasn't just kind of delaying because he couldn't get around to it. No, what God was doing was he was carefully orchestrating every step along the way. He was preparing his people because they needed to be ready for Jesus to come. He was preparing the world because it needed to be ready for the gospel to go forth. He was working every detail.
1: And that means that even though
0: Ethan couldn't see where God's steadfast love, it was there all around him. It was there. God was keeping Ethan by himself, close to him. He was protecting and preserving his people. He was preparing them. Though Ethan couldn't see it, God was there. And even the most agonizing question that Ethan asked is answered when he says about his death, who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, that is the power of death. God says, I can and I will. Here's just something to think about as we're looking at this psalm. Ethan is not singing this psalm anymore. Ethan right now is seeing his king. And all of his agony is resolved and he is joyful and satisfied and no longer waiting for anything. And this is the pattern. If we think about the patterns of Scripture, Abraham was confused, and yet a son was born. God's people cried out, and they were freed from Egypt. People, century after century, waited, and Jesus came. And the reason we need to recognize that is to recognize that someday we will look back on now. And we also will see that all of our longings and all of our waiting will be fulfilled because God does exactly what he says he will do and his steadfast love never ceases. But there's a second reason why why we can be encouraged and strengthened as we're called to, to just wait in this confusion. And that is, as we said at the very beginning, we need to recognize that God understands. Ethan's prayer, remember. God answers that. Not only do we have Psalm 89, a sure testimony that God remembers what Ethan has written, but what Ethan is longing for is for God to understand, to enter in, and what is the most remarkable, or one of the most remarkable truths of Christianity is that God knows what it is like to be like us. He he has entered into our suffering and confusion. The Son of God knows what it is like to have God's promises in one hand and yet experience seeming to say the very opposite. The Son of God knows what it is like to have only a question, to cry out in agony, my God, my God, why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it is to be in a moment where it feels like everything you believe can't possibly be true based on what you're experiencing. He knows and he promises to be with us, to pray for us, to groan with us as we await the day for all to be made. We're in Advent, and Advent is, again and again we talk about, it is a season that is meant to train us together to wait. And I think sometimes the danger with Advent is we can almost romanticize waiting. There's the candles, there's the presents, there's the Advent calendar. Ooh, we're waiting, except that's not actually how it is, right? Waiting, when we really know what we're talking about, is brutally hard at times. It's why we need to do it together, it's why we need to practice it every year. But we we wait, we wait even sometimes in the darkest darkness because we have a God who has shown us that he loves us. He has shown it in the most unmistakable way imaginable. He has shown that what he says he always, always does. And he has promised that even as the sun has come once, he will come again and make everything right. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.